Strap on the boots and scrape up the knuckles. Oh, what a hit! He got jacked. This is the Big Red Rage. Presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Murray's going to score. Touchdown. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. <laughs> the Rage is brought to you by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Right on the price. Right on the corner of the Santan 202 Freeway in Val Vista. SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcast. The Red Sea is rising up. Temperature rising, vision blurring, rage taking over. Here's Paul Calvisi. I'm ready. I'm 100% ready. I'm telling you I'm ready. And Ron Wolfley. It doesn't get any better than that. Unleash the fury! The NFL regular season might stop. The Big Red Rage does not. The original Thursday night football. No winter advisories here in the AZ to postpone this edition. All presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford, Paul Calvisi, Ron Wolfley, soon to be joined by Cardinals tight end coach Ben Steele. All we have quite a bit to talk about with the position coach of Trey McBride and company. That is straight ahead. Ron Wolfie, did you know, speaking of winter advisories, that um, this whole Buffalo thing, and now they're expecting yet another winter storm to hit over the weekend, and they yes. already had the game postponed last week. Do you know the name of the guy who's the key to the Bills' playoff run? Uh, no. It go, he goes by the name Squirrel. Squirrel. I read okay. this earlier today. Does he have a shovel in his hand? He, well, sort of. Um, he's Josh Allen's neighbor. <laughs> and he's a retired farmer who, uh, when needed, is called upon to dig the Bills quarterback out of his own driveway <laughs> and get him out of his own place and to the stadium, either for practice or for games. Paulie, there are guys I know that live in Orchard Park or East Aurora or somewhere out there. They've got some acreage, and suddenly they've got, I don't know, 100 yards of driveway. And suddenly, if it starts to snow and you get six to eight inches, or maybe you get six feet, you're in trouble. And you got to call your neighbor to come and bail you out. In fact, it was so bad earlier this week that they had a travel ban in Orchard Park and all the surrounding towns, Ron Wolfley. And uh, yet, somehow, all the Buffalo Bills made it to practice. So, apparently... They uh, uh, they allowed the Bills to hit the road, obviously, because they've got a big playoff game coming up against Kansas City. And so there you go. There's your winner update. And, uh, of course, Cardinals do go to Buffalo next year. So all the sideline reporters, <clears throat> we hope, uh, you know, on behalf of all of us, that uh, that game is uh, midseason instead of late season. Here comes hooping. Yeah. All right. So here we go. Cardinals, they're into the offseason. And the question becomes, all right, what's next? We know last offseason – There was a lot of change. We had our hashtag no allegiances. As of right now, only eight draft picks remain from the last four years. That's of 32 draft picks, only eight remain. It's sure to be fewer than that by the time next season starts. And guess what? This roster coming up this year, if nothing else, now that he has a year under his belt as head coach, they know what to expect. Here's your head coach, Jonathan Gannon. 
who's ever back here in 2024. Um, they understand what's expected and, and how we operate. And um, if they're back here, I feel really comfortable myself and Monty and the coaching staff feels really comfortable about their roles. But um, I always say like the price of admission is, is team and then you. And if they're back here in 24, they have that. See, that is the beautiful thing, Paulie, right now. That is the beautiful thing about this. The foundation of this culture has been laid. It has. No the doubt. foundation. It was no. all about, okay, what kind of football are we going to play here? And if we're going to play this kind of football here, what kind of football player do we need to go get? That is the foundation right now. Now, what's the next step, Paul? What is the next thing to do? I think Monty Ossenfort and Jonathan Gannon and the coaching staff, of course, the entire organization, has got to start building vertically. Somebody's got to bring the two-by-fours in right now. The foundation is there. Now you have to build, and you have to build a house vertically. By the end of the season, the Cardinals were the third youngest team in the NFL. You know the youngest team in the NFL right now? Green Bay. Wow. Second youngest team. The L.A. Rams, who started three and six and then won seven out of eight and went into the playoffs and had that narrow loss of Detroit. We'll get into that a little bit later. But now at least you have the answer to a couple of questions. What do you want to be as a team? Yes. Who is going to be part of this team and or who is needed? At least now you have some questions, whereas a year ago at this time, all you had were questions. Okay, what is this head coach all about? Are these players going to be... And you don't really know. And, and I said this earlier this week in Cardinals Underground. You can agree or disagree, and I know you will. But <laughs> you don't truly know what you have as a head coach and a general manager until the regular season starts. Yes. Until you get yes. regular season snaps. You're right, Paul. Greg Dorch barely made the 53. Uh, by the end of the year, he's one of your key contributors. So you never would have expected that when the season started. You need regular season snaps. Yes, you do, Paulie. There's no doubt about that. But the foundation has been laid. And when I say that, once again, I'm talking about football players. You, They already know. They have a really good idea. When they look at the roster, and I'm talking about J.G. and Monty Ossonfort and the coaching staff, when they look at the roster, they already know. Do you want that guy back? Do we want this guy back? This guy proved he belongs. Here, whatever it is, it's football and football players. But when I talk about building vertical, Paul, now it's time to go and identify the guys who are going to be a good fit for the foundation that is the that has been laid. They're going to be a good fit, but they're more talented. That's what you've got to do now. Building vertical means going out and bringing more talented players in to build on the foundation that you have. All right, so there's cram it vertical, which is the run game. Then there's build it vertical. Build it vertical. Okay. Here's the uh, quarterback, Kyla Murray, just on the leadership from the top down. A new head coach and a new GM. It's like refreshing. Just, um, you know, to have, you know, guys upstairs that, you know, believe in it and really speak to it and, and hold everybody accountable, you know, it, it trickles down, you know, it starts at the top, you know, and I think every, you know, great organization business understand, you know, it starts at the top and, and the guys really believe in what they're preaching. You know, I'm very confident in what, what we got going. There's that word again, accountability. Mm-hmm. People ask about, okay, well, what is the difference with Jonathan Gannon and Monty Austin Ford? That's the first word I start with. That's the word that Michael Bidwell, the team owner, cited in making the coaching change last offseason. That needed to be addressed. That needed to be instituted to a greater degree. And I think what you saw over the course of the year was finding those guys who were willing to buy in to that accountability. Yes, Paul. And those who were not, 
we're no longer with the team. Listen, I call it PADS, Paul. Okay, I've heard. You know, I've. This you've is an heard acronym now. This. Yeah, PADS. PADS. This is an acronym. Physical P. It starts with P. Paul. Okay. Physical. You, we you, need that. You're looking at me like I should write this okay, down. I'm just okay. saying. Right. Exactly. Right. Okay. A for accountability. D for discipline. S for smart. That's what you want gotcha. out of your football player. You want them to be physical, accountable, disciplined, and smart. That's what you need. Pads is what they now. You know what? You've got guys who are checking those boxes. Now you got to go out and you got to find more guys to do that. And that's what Monty Austin for. That's why the draft. That's why having eleven picks in this draft coming up is so critical. Because I guarantee you, whether the guy is a cornerback, whether he's he's a safety, whether he's a center, a guard, a fullback, Paul, whomever it may be that you're going to bring in these doors, he's going to check. All of those boxes right there, or they're not going to bring them in. That's my hot take, Paul. They're not going to bring them in if he doesn't check every one of those boxes, whether it's a free agent that you sign in the offseason or whether it's a kid you're going to draft out of Kansas. Pads, physical, accountable, disciplined, smart. Why do I have this feeling that you have that on a white grease board in the uh, Wolf League garage for your eighth grader veteran? Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah, and you boom. I, I you're, don't you know. have it there, Paul. Okay. It's right. actually on the computer, though. <laughs> I see. Well, look, you, I mean, the Cardinals rookie class, to your point, the Cardinals know what they want. They led the NFL with 11 rookies that started at least one game that combined for an NFL high 64 starts by rookies. And we all know that you can draft measurables, but it's the person. It's the mentality. It's when Amani Asaford says, you know what? We met with Garrett Williams, and we knew after 15 yeah. minutes he was our sort of player. We met with a Michael Wilson, and we knew he had our sort of mentality. So up and down the draft class, look at all the contributions. And if you can stack another draft class this year like you did last year, to your point, that is how you build it vertical, correct? That's what you do. You build it vertical. You build on the foundation. Now it's time to bring in more talent. Hey, join the Arizona Cardinals season ticket priority list today. 2024 opponents include the Bears, Chargers, Patriots, Jets, Lions, Commanders, and of course the NFC West. Just go to azcardinals.com slash priority list. All right, Ben Steele, tight ends coach. We'll talk about Trey McBride and more when we come back on the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Trey McBride has been one of the best receiving tight ends in football. Trey McBride, gross, strong grasshopper. Near side, it is underthrown. Oh, but it's caught at the 10-yard line by McBride. First Cardinal tight end in 34 years with a 100-yard receiving game. Oh, my goodness, Trey McBride. Have a day, baby. McBride fighting for the first down at the two. He's still pushing the pile, and he pushes it into the end zone. For the touchdown! <laughs> Trey McBride, all muscles. Fires left in the end zone. It is caught by McBride, and it's a touchdown. Big time play by Trey McBride. Caught inside the five yard line by McBride for a first down. Want to talk about a vertical game? And Trey McBride went up and grabbed that ball. That was an elite catch. That was spectacular. What a beautiful grab by McBride. Nice catch by Trey McBride. McBride with that catch sets the Cardinals single season record for most receptions by a tight end. 
His second NFL season has been phenomenal, and it continues. No doubt. NFL is all about what? Opportunity. And when you get one, and sometimes you only get one, you better seize thy opportunity. Indeed. And Trey McClay, as we call him, led the Cardinals not only in catches, he was second in receiving yards, he was top 10 in both categories in the NFL, and we have his position coach here on this edition of the Big Red Rage, presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford. Ben Steele joins us over a decade in the NFL. And you're nodding. It's good to hear yeah. Trey McBride and no, those it highlights, is. isn't it? It is. I hope he doesn't hear that montage that you guys just played. With guys. <laughs> I keep telling him he, he's only as good as his last play. So, um, yeah, tremendous year for the guy. I'm super proud of him. You know, it's funny because it seems like the guys in that room keep him in line and keep him humble. Because every time I'm over in that area of the locker room, <laughs> they're giving him the business. Yeah, they definitely do. They definitely do. we got a great room. Um, you know, and Trey's a humble enough guy himself. He's, he's not going to get away from him, but... You know, there's times that I remind him every single day. It was after his first 100-yard game, I, I told him, I was like, yeah, great game. You had one great game. Like, who cares? You, the NFL is about consistency, <laughs> like you said. So I'm like, we got to do it again. You know, uh, you know, that's something I'll, in the stretch line. I'll come by and tell them, hey, great one show up every day. It's not just like on Sundays. So today we got to work. <laughs> See, I love that right yeah, there, though. That's great, Coach. He's a stud, and he, he, puts it, he, put it, he puts the work in, and, um, you know, tribute to him. I'm just super proud of the guy. So talk a little bit about the season that he had, how he started the season, and, and where did he grow the most, Coach? Well, you know, coming into the season obviously was a little bit of a, of a difficult spot for him to be in, you know, being in the shadows of Zach Ertz coming back off of his injury. Um, and then when Zach got hurt again and eventually went on IR, you know, Trey got his shot and he took advantage of it. Mm-hmm. And I knew he would. And he didn't say anything. He just kept working and kept his head down. Um, so I'm super proud of him for that. And I told him that at the time, like, hey, your time is going to come. And when it does, like, it's going to be huge. And, and it was. And he wasn't too big for it. Um, and he, he, you know, like I said, he does the little things that it takes to be great. And hopefully that continues. I think it will. How did he grade out, you know, week in and week out? I mean, because what we saw were some spectacular plays at times, but we also saw a guy who was hard on himself as a sideline reporter. It's amazing how hard he was on himself at times on the sideline. So I'm just curious, you know, what did you make and how much more is there? How much more potential is there going forward in his game? That was only year two. Yeah, there's a ton of potential still there. Um, You know, and and even the games that he – you know, has the stat lines that are super high. Like his, his really his last two games, I thought were his two best games of the year, because he didn't just do the pass catching portion of playing a tight end. And to me, that's what a tight end is. It's not a one dimensional. I'm just a slow wide receiver. I don't block anybody. I'm a dual threat. And everyone at the combine, when I ask him who's like the most impressive tight end in the league, they all say George Kittle. Why? Because he blocks and he catches the ball, obviously. And he's not always the go to guy in San Francisco. So. Um, you know, and Trey really works to do both, and he can do both, and he does both, and he's going to stick his head in there. And, I mean, he had some really good blocks in those last two games. I don't know if they were the best stat line. I know they weren't the best that he had this year, but by far he graded-wise as far as blocking and just being a complete tight end, it was, it was unbelievable. Well, guess what? Uh, Wolf cited it during the broadcast, especially as the season wore on, and then the head coach had as much to say about Trey McBride's blocking. He's a complete player. In his mind, he would tell you this, to take the next step of being a completely dominant player at that spot, I think he wants that to be a little more consistent. But he does an excellent job in there with that, Um, improves every week. 
And there you go, Jonathan Gannon. Yeah, you know what, Coach? I tell him all the time, do not just be a pass receiving tight end. I tell him. I've, I've heard that. I've heard you say that on the radio before. And I'm like, yes. Like, I promise you, if I have anything to do with it, he will not. It's good. And I can tell that. And, and I can see why he's gotten better because he's got a coach that is demanding that. Why, coach, would you ever lower the bar for him? It's always raise the bar, right? He's no capable question. of doing no, it. No question. And and it helps our team. Yes. Is on a first and second down, if we know that you're only going to be in there to catch the ball. Like It doesn't help us in the run game or in our play action, and all that complements itself. So, uh, you know, that's the biggest part as for, and for me as a tight end coach that I want out of a guy is to be able to and willing to work at both. Yeah, you know, for me, 11 personnel is such a huge part of a lot of NFL teams today. Even in rundown situation, first and 10, second and one to six, 11 personnel, one back, one tight end, three wide receivers. That, to me, you've got to be capable of doing both out of 11 personnel, running the ball or throwing the ball. And that tight end is so critical, as you know, Coach, in that 11 personnel. If you're going to run the ball, you better have a true stud tight end who can do both. Mm -hmm. And Trey is that guy. He is that guy. And and it's the same thing on third down when you know you want to be in a seven-man protection and you've got to bring in your jumbo tight end or whoever that is, you know that the the teams are going to a lot of times pressure more so like uh, we actually had an audible against the the eagles and we were in a seven-man protection trey came down sealed the end and and we scored a touchdown so um yeah you got to be multi multi as a tight end for the sake of the offense and hey how about his tight end coach right i mean you, if, if you're looking at his blocking i would think you're the guy to be mentoring and tutoring him considering your background you look at your resume tell us about just some of your experience because you've been an old line coach along the way as well right mm-hmm. yeah i uh the last two years i was w- working with the offensive line uh, as the assistant o-line coach in denver and in uh, minnesota um coached tight ends before that in atlanta and tampa bay but um, former player, former tight end as well, and it, you know that was also something uh, for me as a player. Is you know I was mainly a special teams role playing guy, but you know for a, for a tight end in this league to be able to be in there every single down, that's what I want, and that's what you know I'm here to do. Special teams? Are you kidding me right now? Don't yeah. get me, don't get me started on that, coach. All right, I'm just telling you. Can we bring the kickoff back, coach? No question. Oh my goodness, we got to do something about that. No question. It, that bothers me as well. And and I talk a lot of special teams in the tight end room, like you know, especially the guys on the roster. I'm like, listen, special teams is about effort and just willing to go hit somebody in the mouth. Yes. And. Um, if you're not the starting tight end, you better be contributing on special teams. And on that note right there, tell us a little bit about Elijah Higgins and where do you see the yeah. upside for this guy? How much better can he get? I'd like to see him put some weight on as well. No question. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to see him put some weight on for sure. Okay. But, um, How much, Coach? Like, what do you think? I, I mean, 8 to 10 pounds. Eight I think 10. he could hold that. I think, you know, you don't want him to lose his speed because he is a threat in the pass game yeah. and he, he can run. And he, he's got great ball skills. Um, the best part about him as a former receiver, he doesn't have any bad habits as far as footwork and inline blocking as a tight end. And so he takes on the coaching and does exactly mm. what I tell him to do. And it's it's awesome because he, you know, really works at it and he's willing and able to stick his nose in there. And he had some great blocks the last few games when he was, you know, had his opportunity when we were in multiple tight end plays. And and I have no hesitation throwing him in the game if Trey needs a rest or whatever that may be. But 
his ceiling is is huge, and I'm so excited for him coming into his his uh, you know second year in the league next year, getting a full off season mm-hmm. working at the tight end position with me, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about him for sure. Cardinals tight end coach Ben Steele is our guest here on the Big Red Rage, presented by Santan, Ford, and Gilbert. How much did both of those young guys learn from Jeff Swain? I mean, a dude who has a lot of years in this league yeah. is a really good blocking tight end. He is. Coach Swain is what I call him. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he was invaluable in the room as a veteran voice in the room. Um, and, you know, at one point, you know, at the end of the year when he went on IR, I'm looking around the room and I got Trey in his second year and then three rookies. And I'm like, man, this is. I'm like, and I and the guys, they were accountable. They did what they needed to do. But to have a guy like Jeff in the room, and he still came to meetings even though he didn't have to, which was awesome. Um, and he's always getting better, uh, getting those guys better as far as coaching points with footwork and hand placement. You know, and, and at times when I'm not able to talk to him, you know, right away, he is right there doing it. Um, so he was huge because he showed those guys what it truly means to be a pro. It's not just showing up to practice and then first one out the door. All the little things it takes to get your body right, eating the right food, mentally making yourself aware and, and on point with assignments and um, and everything outside of football as well. He's, a, he's such a mentor for those guys. Coach, you ever talk to him in German? <laughs> no. <laughs> Never say? No, but I, I know he was right? I know he was hit. Yeah, Psycho was uh, – uh, obviously, teaching them is German, so every once in a while I'd, I'd ask them a question and they'd throw out like some German, and I'm like, "What? Listen, I don't speak German yet." Like, <laughs> but you played for Frankfurt, yeah. didn't you? I did, and I didn't learn that much German when I was in Frankfurt. But did you uh, like the food over there? I love the food. Oh, I learned yeah. Ein Beer, bitte. That was the one thing. <laughs> one beer, bitte, please. Yeah. One beer. That's good. Well, hey, there's a lot of speculation. Cardinals might be going to Munich to take on Carolina. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Bernhard, Bernhard would be a big uh, team leader on that road uh, trip. There's uh, no doubt. No doubt. He, he would be, he'd have to be our chauffeur and getting us around. So, <laughs> Coach, I have to ask you this because, once again, you, you're coaching tight ends and you coached and have coached the offensive line as well. Now, that's, that seems like a symbiotic relationship. Getting a true stud tight end to block like an offensive lineman would be fantastic. And yet, you still have the receiving component, as we all know, with Trey McBride, a guy like that, and other tight ends of across the NFL right now. Do you have a preference as to what you like to coach? Like, would you like to just focus on offensive line, or do you like the fact that you get a little duality at the tight end position? I, I love the fact that um, I get that both sides of the of the, uh, of the offense. Um, being involved in the pass game is obviously a little more natural than getting thrown into the O-line room because of all the, the details that they have and everything that they do. Now with the tight ends doing everything, pass protection, run blocking, and and obviously re, uh, running routes and receiving, um, you are more involved than any other position on the field other than quarterback. So you have to know everything. So you know, for me, that the biggest part, hard, hardest thing for me is is finding enough time during the meeting to cover everything, and um, getting them ready for practice. So you got to be creative doing that. But uh, you know, I enjoy doing all facets of it for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, there were times when I was working with the offensive line that I'd be looking down at seven on seven, like, "Hey, what are those guys doing?" <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I would say when I was with the offensive line, I probably missed the pass game a lot more than than uh, than I probably should have. But um, 
but yeah. It's kind of like back when I played 1985, of course, the fullback, of course. Mm-hmm. We, we used to tell the center what to do, okay? Yeah. Just, just so you know, fullback, <laughs> okay. we used to tell the center. Okay. I'm telling you, Paul. Speaking Nick, of telling everyone what to do, let me ask you about Jonathan Gannon, your head coach, because you look at the Lions and Dan Campbell, look at the Texans, D'Amico Ryans. These are high-energy guys. Mm-hmm. And the more you read about how they brought in their culture and those two programs to turn things around, I see a lot of similarities to what Jonathan Gannon mm-hmm. is doing here with the Cardinals. Would you agree with that? And can you elaborate a little bit? Yeah. And, you know, I, I've thought about this, you know, since the end of the season, too. Like, um, you know, I was with, with uh, Nathaniel Hackett and with the Broncos last year for the, or, you know, his first year as a head coach for them. And uh, the difference, you know, going into the end of the season this year, like, Every team in the NFL is good. Everyone knows that. And to me, it's that 1% factor of your culture that puts you over the top. And the feeling at the end of this season was not like, man, we just had a terrible season. It was, okay, we have room for improvement for sure. And four wins is definitely not the standard. But our head coach has set, set the culture and the players have bought into it. So when you have that and you know that you're getting the culture right, the football pieces are going to fall in line. So I'm I'm – so excited for next year like coming back to the office after a short break the end of our last game i was you know running to my car to get to work on mm-hmm. tuesday so it was we're excited as a staff and we've been already getting things rolling and and uh you know for off-season program whenever that starts up coach where do you think the offense can evolve the most well <clears throat> you know i think that we obviously need to be able to play uh complimentary football on I'm talking just on offense as far as you know being able to work early in the downs as far as first and second downs so we don't we're not in these third and long situations mm-hmm. um and you know as as an offensive whole like we got to just get better at all the details of everything that we do and we're we're close for sure and um going into an offseason program where it wasn't the first year as our staff just our staff getting to know each other and getting to know uh, how we work together and the scheme and our players going into the offseason the second year and the scheme, that's going to be huge. Huge. And then going into training camp is our second year to where we're not just day one install anymore. Like we can speed it along and work on technique, fundamentals, the things that actually matter on the field. So that all of that combined um, and really as a staff, like everyone looks at themselves first and how we can make each other better and then the players better because that's the ultimate goal accountable mm-hmm. i tell you what you know jonathan again had a saying early in his tenure cram it vertical and we use that <laughs> to describe the run game that ended <laughs> like up it. fourth overall in the nfl like tight it. ends were a big part of that mm-hmm. and it was amazing how many teams after they're done playing the cardinals said that was a physical game mm-hmm. even like the steelers after the game we got out physical we got our butts kicked the eagles said the same thing so we're definitely looking forward to having a full season of Kyler, and everyone has the uh, season under their belt, right? And that offense evolving. And if we end up going to Munich, then uh, you know what? You're going to be, <laughs> um, as the guy who played yeah. in Germany, you know, you're going to be leading the way as well. Yeah. So that'd be fun. That would be a, a cool experience. We thank enjoyed you, it. Coach. Thank you, Coach. All right. Thank you, guys. There you go. That is Ben Steele, Cardinals tight end coach. We continue with a Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford. 
could be the game. Fourth down and one. Handoff Hightower running right. Gets to the outside. And he's got the first down at the 45 and pushed out of bounds. Throws a slant to Fitz. Caught at the 30. Inside the 25 and down at the 23. It's a gain of about 18 and a first down for the Cardinals. Larry Fitzgerald is literally trying to will this team to victory right now. Pumps right. Throws back to the left. Hightower caught at the 10. Cuts left to the 5. Hightower to the goal line. And in. Touchdown. And the Cardinals retake the lead with 2.53 to go. Picked off by Dockett. Dockett inside the 10. That's it. The Cardinals have shot the world. Straight but true. The Cards have done it. They're going to Super Bowl 43. Still get chills. Literally. I mean, on this day in 2009, Cardinals beat the Eagles 32-25 to advance to Super Bowl 43. Outstanding job on the mic. Dave Pash, Ron Wolfley was in the booth. Unforgettable game in Cardinals history. In fact, the Lions win this past weekend reminded me a lot of the Cardinals win in that game, in that NFC Championship, in that Lions fans did not want to leave that stadium. They were still in their seats, soaking it all in. Not wanting it to end as Jared Goff, the last guy off the field, did every interview out there. And as he came running off, he got a standing ovation and the stadium was still packed 30 minutes almost after the game had ended. Paulie, just imagine the last time they won a playoff game, 1992. Paul, I covered the team right after that. I covered those Lions teams in like 93 and 94. It, in yeah, the league. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm still in disbelief. I really am. I mean, you're, you're talking about... You know, one of the great cutaways was, forget Taylor Swift over the weekend, was the 89-year-old season ticket holder of the Lions, who had yes. held season tickets for 66 seasons. He was at the 1957 NFL <laughs> title game, and the next year he bought season tickets because he was on the bandwagon, and he's been a season ticket holder ever since. Oh my goodness. So, it is uh, just amazing to watch that Lions turn around. And Wolf, I, I made a comparison. I said, you know what? An ideal best-case scenario for the Cardinals and Cardinals fans would be that Detroit and Dan Campbell is a case study for the Arizona Cardinals. They won three games their first year. They started the second season one and six. Do you know ever since they've won 21 out of 28 games? It's incredible. They, 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 got, they got the O-line fixed. The quarterback is intact. They got that premier pass rusher in Aiden Hutchinson, right? Yep. I mean, they finally have it dialed in, and they have that same sort of energy and physical mentality that Jonathan Gannon has instilled in this team. You know, that, it's interesting, Paulie, because the Tampa Bay-Detroit game, I, I think that is going to be a good game. I think that's going to be good. There's a lot of people that think Detroit playing home, of course, and uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers kind of being a little bit of a Cinderella team, I think, for the most part here. I think they think that Detroit is going to roll, and maybe they do. I, I don't know, Paulie, but I think this is going to be a really physical, physical game between the Lions and the Buccaneers. And you know Todd Bowles, yes, Baker Mayfield and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they throw the ball. They're not a really good running team by any stretch of the imagination. They love to throw the ball. Mike Evans is going off, of course, as we all know. Baker Mayfield has played exceptionally well. And I will tell you, the Lions defense, number 27 in passing yards per game allowed and number 30 Mm. in passing yards per play allowed. They will give up some yardage out in the field. And that's why I think this is going to come down to just... 
just how much they can, the Lions, control uh, Mike Evans and Baker Mayfield throwing the ball. That, to me, is what this game is going to boil down to. That and the physicality of the Detroit Lions attacking that front seven of the Bucks. You know when I bet on Baker Mayfield? When no one else is betting on Baker Mayfield. When everyone else counts him out, he's at his best. He's that guy who just he channels the haters and he turns it into things like this. When you don't think he's capable, that's when he pulls it out. I mean, you know, he's the first Tampa quarterback in franchise history with 300 plus yards and three touchdowns in a playoff game. And how many drops do the Buccaneers have? Mike Evans himself could have had two deep shots that he dropped in that game. So I'm with you. I think that's going to be more of a game than most expect. And then you take this Niners game, and we obviously know the 49ers real well. And they go in with Brock Purdy, who led the NFL in passer rating. They got Christian McCaffrey back. They have four different weapons who had more than 1,000 yards Based on what you saw in Green Bay, because they went into Dallas, and the D and Big D stood for detonate. I mean, they destroyed the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. And Jordan Love was legit in that game. You know, since the 12th week of the season, Jordan Love has been one of the highest-rated quarterbacks in the National Football League in terms of quarterback rating, Paul. How well he has truly played from that point on. Now, the first half of the season was really up and down for Jordan Love. But can you imagine? Can you imagine... If, in fact, Jordan Love is going to be the guy for the Green Bay Packers going forward for the next decade plus, once again, is it possible, Paul, that the Green Bay Packers go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers to now this new kid, Jordan Love? And is it possible they'd have almost 40 years of franchise quarterback? That is staggering. That that is staggering. staggering. But based on what we saw in that playoff win, It's definitely a possibility. In fact, you know what? I have it right here, Wolf. To your point about him leading the league almost in so many different categories, over his last nine games, he had 21 touchdown passes and one interception. Yes. They won the coin toss and took the ball. And then they crammed (laughs) it down the Cowboys' throat. They went 12 plays, 75 yards on a touchdown drive that lasted more than seven minutes. They led 48-16 to against the Cowboys team that had won 16 in a row at home. But now, playing the San Francisco 49ers in San Francisco, of course, course you have to wonder is this where cinderella slipper shatters into a million pieces right now i i do believe the there there is a way for the green bay packers to somehow some way beat the 49ers but it involves a lot of turnovers and a lot of takeaways and playing very very well but to me the matchup of this game is going to be the green bay packers and their offensive line number four in sacks per attempt allowed. That's really, really good, Paulie. That's elite wow. in the NFL. Number four in sacks per attempt allowed. The Green Bay Packers offensive line. And here it comes, Chase Young. Here it comes, Nick Bosa. Here comes the front seven. Maybe the best front seven to me. It is the best front seven in the football universe against that offensive line. Can they run the ball? Can they? Just to keep Jordan Love in a balanced offense. That is a path to an upset. But I think of all the games that could be a blowout, this is the one. The 49ers could blow them out. If you walk into the 49ers locker room right now, I wonder if there's a certain quote that's up on the old whiteboard. Because the defensive tackle for the Packers, Devontae Wyatt, said they have been studying the Baltimore game film where Brock Purdy threw four picks in that Christmas night loss. Okay. Okay. He said, and I'm quoting now, 
We just got to get pressure on him. You know what I'm saying? When he's throwing the ball against pressure, it's off rhythm. I watched it a lot on film. When D linemen just get pressure into him, he's always throwing off, or it's behind, or it's overthrown, <laughs> or it's short. There'll be a lot of picks or stuff like that. So when you get Ooh. pressure on him, it's a guarantee we'll get a turnover. End quote. Wow. Okay. Can I talk to you, please? It's time for you to stop talking. So now we'll see if Green Bay indeed can get pressure on Brock Purdy because you're right. The Niners have one of the best offensive lines wow. in the business. And that will be intriguing to watch. No doubt, no doubt about that. Hey, the Cardinals season ticket priority list, you can join it today. 2024 opponents include the Bears, the Chargers, the Patriots, the Jets, the Lions, the Commanders, and of course, the 49ers, Seahawks, and Rams. For all the info, go to azcardinals.com slash priority list. We'll get Wolf's thoughts on the AFC when we come back. This is the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Should do it. Five seconds left. Snowballs come flying, and the Buffalo Bills, thanks to a 31 to 17 victory over the Steelers, will return to the AFC Divisional Round, where next week they'll take on the Kansas City Chiefs here at home. Mahomes Allen again, right here in Buffalo. That's what you want. Two of the best quarterbacks. Battling it out in the division round. In this atmosphere Oh, as well. it's going to be rocking. No doubt. Tony Baselli, Tom McCarthy, Westwood won third straight year. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes meet in the postseason. But the Bills have him at home after he had a uh, Chiefs team that had hosted the AFC Championship five straight years. And the Bills, here it is, Ron Wolfley, Buffalo native here on the Big Red Rage, presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. The Bills, in home playoff games since 1970, are 14-2. I still don't know how the fans got in their seats. There was so much snow an hour before kickoff. Incredible! It's a, the stories of Bills fans going and grabbing shovels from the stadium crew and just shoveling out their own aisles. Yes. And then having to stand mainly because you couldn't even sit in a seat. But here's the, here's the thing I didn't understand, Paulie. If you're shoveling out the aisle, where are you throwing the snow? <laughs> you you're know. either throwing it in the aisle in front of you or behind know. you, and they're know. doing the same thing. I, I don't know. It was crazy. There were enough people who uh, made a little like cooler in front of them. They were storing their beers in there. It was outstanding. <laughs> you know, they're keeping them ice cold, literally. I honestly think of all the games this weekend coming up, the four games coming up this weekend, the Sunday night game, no doubt about it, with the Kansas City Chiefs going to the park, as I like to call it, Orchard Park, to play the Buffalo Bills. There it is. Right, Paulie? I mean, that's the marquee game. Is it, it is. not? No, it is. I mean, it, you know, it's um, there's enough bad blood in that series. There's enough star power. Two teams, right? I mean, you got the pedigree and the defending Super Bowl champions. The Bills right now are red hot the way they ended the season, the way they're playing right now. The home fans who have wanted a piece of the Chiefs for all this time. <laughs> So, I mean, you you tell – and the way – just the way Josh Allen is playing right now and the way he's running the ball as well. Yeah, you know, the, the storyline – and I'm not big on the storylines. I'm big on the process. I just want to see the competition. I want to see the offense, the defense. The Buffalo Bills are running the ball so much better than what they have. I think that's more than anything else, is one of the reasons why they have a chance of actually winning this game. The Kansas City Chiefs defense is so much 
much better, Paul. It is so much better. Number 18 and number 24, as a matter of fact. And rushing yards per game and rushing yards per play allowed. That is the only area the Kansas City Chiefs defense has struggled. Everywhere else, they have been nails. Can the Buffalo Bills turn it back and run the ball like they did a few years ago? If they can be that team, I think they win this game. But it's going to be, I think this is one for the ages. What's interesting is, and Josh Allen said this, quote, we're a step behind already, and he was noting and citing how the Chiefs are going to have two more days of rest after they beat Miami in those Arctic sub-zero temperatures and because they had to delay the game one more day. So we'll see how much that I'm not crazy about that, too, Paulie. I'm not crazy about the fact they're playing games on Monday night. I'm not. I don't think they ought to do that. Um, I think it does create a disadvantage for the team that does play on that Monday night. But this is my favorite weekend right here, Paulie. Not only that. When you think of the other game in the AFC, think of the quarterbacks that are playing in this game. C.J. Stroud, of course, and then Lamar Jackson. Houston and the Ravens, Paul. This is going to be a good game as well. C.J. Stroud. I mean, it is. Uh, I mean, you have C.J. Stroud and D'Amico Ryan's just combined to become the fourth team ever to win a playoff game with a rookie quarterback and a rookie head coach. And I, first thing I think of is going into Baltimore, and I think of what the Ravens did to the 49ers, and I think of what Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen said after the game that you know what teams don't want to play our brand of physical ball. And so we can talk about Lamar, and we can talk about C.J. Stroud. I'm wondering about that Baltimore defense, mm. and if they're going to be too physical for Houston to handle, because their whole line at best is average. Yeah, no, you're right about that. There, there's no doubt. I, this Baltimore Ravens defense, the best scoring defense in the National Football League. Not only that, too, Paulie, this is a team that is physical. John Harbaugh, of course, this is a guy that demands physicality. Um, the Ravens pass defense, number six, and passing yards per game allowed, number one in passing yards per play mm. allowed. Number one, the Baltimore Ravens. And I think right now, you think of Nico Collins, of course, and C.J. Stroud and the combination that they've been. Remember the name Kyle Hamilton, Paul, okay? The strong safety for the Baltimore Ravens, Kyle Hamilton. What Isaiah Simmons should have been. He's 6'4", Paulie, 220 yeah. pounds. Yeah. The guy can run. The, the guy's an excellent tackler in the open field. And not only that, four interceptions on the season. Four interceptions. That's a nice season right there for safety. A guy that was a Pro Bowl player. Kyle Hamilton, to me, is the guy that could really play a key role in the Baltimore Ravens, beating the Houston Texans. So in yards per pass allowed, Baltimore's D is number one. And I did not know that. But what's intriguing there is C.J. Stroud has to be a top three quarterback this year in the downfield passing game. His ability to hit receivers in the second and third level is elite as a rookie. We saw it in person midseason when the Cardinals went to Houston. It is remarkable. He does not hesitate to pull the trigger and go downfield. Yes. And and, Paulie, think about this. Last week, the Houston Texans ran 44 plays. That's it. 44 plays. Wow. They scored 45 points. 
in 44 yeah. plays. Now, you know, they got a little help, of course, sure. right there. Yes, with the pick six, but yeah. still. Yeah. Here's what's interesting is the numbers for C.J. Stroud and Jordan Love were almost identical. 16-21, to 21, both of them. Three touchdowns, both of them. Zero interceptions, both of them. Same passer rating, 157.2, and they were separated by two passing yards. Do you see the tweet by J.J. Watt? They got like 10 million likes. Their pro football focus grade wasn't even close. Jordan Love got 92.5. C.J. Stroud got 77.8. Like, what? <laughs> and, and J.J. Watt tweeted out, quote, this is what happens when you grade football players with an algorithm. <laughs> and people just, because their numbers were identical. And they had completely opposite pro football focus grades. Yeah, you know, this, um, I'm with J.J. Watt on that, by the way, okay? But I wouldn't even say the algorithm. I'd say, who's actually grading? Right. That's what I would like to know right here. But, again, I think the Baltimore Ravens had a bona fide shot of winning the whole thing. I think they do, Paulie. Okay, here's my question, though. Lamar Jackson. Most likely your NFL MVP for a second time. His yes. all-time playoff record is 1-3 as a starting quarterback. Yes. And the Baltimore offense has never scored more than 20 points in a postseason game during Lamar's career. Is he playoff equipped? <laughs> is the pressure, because there's zero pressure on Houston right now. They're so far ahead of the no curve. Doubt. No doubt. And the stinking Cardinals. Oh, my gosh. We paid for it, right, with that draft pick. That was never supposed to happen. Houston had the worst winning percentage the last three years combined of any team. And out of nowhere, they've won a playoff game. Yes. Here's my bloodiest game of the week as well, Paul. Just so you know. You said a lot of good stuff yeah. right there, Paulie. Yeah. Go ahead. But this is the bloodiest game of the week. You got the the Ravens, the number one rushing offense in the National Football League against a team that is number two in yards per attempt allowed. The Texans, number six in yards per game, rushing yards per game, and number two in rushing yards per play. This is going to be a bloodbath on the line of scrimmage. And by the way, everything D'Amico Ryans has done in Houston is exactly what Jonathan Gannon is instituting with the Cardinals. That energy, that physicality. Special thanks to Cardinals tight ends coach Ben Steele once again for Jim Omohundro, Cody Fincher, Ali Narini, for Ron Wolfley on Paul Calvisi. This has been the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford. Ciao! You've been listening to the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Right on the price. Right on the corner of the Santan 202 Freeway in Val Vista. The Rage is brought to you by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcast. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Arizona Cardinals Football Club.